And this is the second week of our series. We're talking about how God actually changes our lives from the inside out. We're talking about how we can become the people that God not only created us to be, the people that deep down inside, you know what, if we're honest, the people we want to be. And we're learning in this series the kind of transformation that we're talking about that actually changes us from the inside out. This isn't something we can pull off all by ourselves. This is a transformation that's only possible because God decided that he was going to go to work in our lives at the moment of salvation. In fact, let me show you a couple of verses from the book of Philippians. It was a letter that Paul wrote to the Christians in Philippi. This is a verse I referred to last week, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul writes, being confident of this, that he, a reference to God, who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, as I said last week, once we make that decision to follow Jesus Christ, once we accept that gift of God's salvation that he made possible through his son, Jesus Christ, at that moment, that instant, God takes us on as a project. By the way, let me just ask you, be honest, how many of you have some unfinished projects around the house? Just raise your hand, right? We all have them. You open the closet and like, yeah, that's been there for nine years. I'm gonna have to finish that one day. Or you can't even get your car in the garage because you have so many unfinished projects. This is what I want you to understand. God never leaves a project unfinished. What God starts, he finishes. And so Paul tells us that at the moment of salvation, God takes us on as a project. Then if you turn over to the next page, Philippians chapter two, Paul gives us a little bit more insight into this process. He says in verse 12, chapter two of Philippians, therefore my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my obedience, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. By the way, that doesn't mean that you're working out your salvation. You're working at becoming the person that God wants you to be, fearing that it's never going to be good enough. This literally, if you were to take it apart in the Greek, could work, you could, it could be translated, work out your salvation with a heart of humble dependence. Go through this process with a heart of humble dependence. In other words, there's a role that we play in this process of being transformed, but we don't control the process. We don't empower the process. In fact, if you get to verse 13, it says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So although we're involved in the process, we're not flying solo. The spiritual transformation is empowered by God. It is impossible without God. But we have to choose whether or not we're going to participate. Let me give you an illustration. About 15 years ago on an Easter, a young lady strolled into Hope Community Church because her parents had invited her. Uh, you've probably heard her story. She was an exotic dancer. She worked at one of the local clubs in the area. But it was that day that she had an encounter with God and her life was changed forever. Well, the very next week, I was talking to her parents about this transformation. They said, well, we're excited, but if she's gonna walk away from this job, she doesn't really have a job. So I did what any self-respecting pastor would do. I hired this exotic dancer to be the new receptionist here at Hope Community Church. I didn't know how that was gonna work out. I said, probably should go shopping, get some new clothes. I asked some of the ladies to kind of take her on as a project, begin to, to teach her God's word and to speak into her life. But after she had been here a few days, she came to my office and she said, she says, Mike, she says, thank you for this opportunity. She said, you know I live with a guy that I'm not married to, don't you? And I said, yeah, I know that. She said, did you know he's a drug dealer? I said, I did not know that. I, did, I, that didn't get to me yet. And she says, am I gonna lose my job if I stay in that relationship? And this is what I told her. I said, God has an incredible plan for your life. God wants to do incredible things in your life. He has plans to prosper you and not to harm you. But if you want to experience God's perfect plan for your life, you're gonna to have to decide at which level you're gonna participate. 
how involved you're going to be working with God in this process. It's kind of like this class that we're offering. You saw it in the video this weekend, Living Free, that's starting up on September the 25th. Maybe you are struggling with some kind of addiction, or maybe you feel that you're in bondage or enslaved to something in your life. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's just some behavior that's not only harmful to you, it has the impact to, to be harmful to those around you. This seven-week class could be your participation that God empowers to change your life. And if you want to take the class we would encourage you, go to the Next Step counter at all of our campuses this weekend. They will take your name. You can register. They will give you the new handbook. You do the first chapter. You show up Monday night, September the 25th to see what God is going to do. See, I've always been saying, hey, if, if you're praying for God to move a mountain in your life, be prepared to show up with a shovel, okay? Because you're going to be involved in that process. Now, if you weren't here last week, let me just give you a little bit of review. We learned several things out of the first four verses of Romans chapter eight. Let me just give them to you. First of all, we learned that we are, as Christians, we are eternally secure. We are eternally secure. Look what Paul wrote in verse one of chapter eight. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say there's no condemnation for those who are in church every weekend. It doesn't say there's no condemnation for those who are trying really, really hard to get all the rules right. It's not about acting a certain way. It's not about feeling good about yourself. It's not about just trying really, really, really hard to please God. We are eternally secure. We are uncondemnable. By the way, I was sitting on the couch Monday night watching Monday Night Football, and Laura said, honey, I just looked up the word uncondemnable. It's not a real word. I said, it is now. It is now. We are, we are uncondemnable in Christ. We are secure in Christ. And I love the way Webster defines secure. Freed from danger. Freed from fear. We are eternally secure in Christ. Second, we are internally set free. We are freed, verse two, because through Christ, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And if you were here, you may remember that's a reference to the cause and effect, you sin, you die system. It's the system that we're born into. It's the system that we're used to. But when we became followers of Jesus Christ, at that moment, we were brought out of that system into a whole new system. And that new system is called the law of the spirit who gives life. But this is what you have to understand. This new system that Jesus made possible through his death, his burial, his resurrection, understand it's not a version of the old system. It is a completely different system. It's not an overhaul of the new system. It is a completely different system. I mean, before we became Christians, before we became followers of Jesus Christ, see, to have a relationship with God, we would promise God that we were gonna try really, really hard. We were gonna do better. We were gonna be better. But no matter how hard we try, what happens? We always failed. And then after we failed, we were guilty and we felt condemned. And so we promised God, hey man, God, I'm gonna do better and I'm gonna work so much harder to, so that you'll be pleased with me. That is the law, that is the system of sin and death. And I promise you, if you live that way, it will always lead to bondage. But according to verse two of Romans chapter eight, there's freedom in the law of the spirit that gives life. And then third, I love this, we are positionally perfect. Verse three, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. Think about it this way. When God gave us the law, the 10 commandments, the do's, the don'ts, the thou shalt, the thou shalt not, it basically spelled out how we could be perfect, how we could be righteous before God. And the standard was this, absolute 100% perfection. You could never break any aspect of the law. Now, just so you know, 
There was absolutely nothing wrong with the law. You know what the problem was? It was our sinful nature. See, we just like being bad. And so this tells us that what the law couldn't do, which was make us perfect, God decided to do by giving us his son. And when I accept what Jesus Christ has done for me, that he died on the cross to pay for my sins, that he rose three days later to validate and verify that he was the son of God who was indeed capable of taking away the sins of the world. When I accept that gift, I am given the gift of perfect righteousness. But if that's gonna happen in my life, if that's gonna happen in your life, see, we have to get to the point where we say, God, I can't do anything to make me perfect. God, I can't do anything to make me righteous. God, I am hopeless, I am helpless. I don't need a second chance, I need a savior. I don't need to try harder, I need a savior. God, I need someone to do for me what I cannot do for myself. And so God did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves by sending his son, Paul tells us, to be a sin offering, to die on our behalf. And when we accept that gift of salvation by trusting in Jesus Christ as our personal savior, at that moment, <laughs> God stamps across our life righteous. And we are uncondemnable. We're accepted. We are as close to God as we're ever gonna be. We are righteous. We are positionally perfect. God sees us as he sees his very son, Jesus Christ, pure perfection, and you cannot improve on perfection. But again, it's not because of anything we've done. It's all because of what Christ has done for, our, for us. But see, this new system in Christ, our tendency is to see it as just a way to avoid hell. It's kind of like fire insurance. It's a way we think, oh God, Jesus died for me so that I get to go to heaven when I die. And we don't understand how it applies to how we live our lives right now. We don't understand how, how it applies to how we live our lives today. But think about it this way. Jesus didn't say, I've come that you might go to heaven. He didn't say that. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, I've come that you might what? Have life and have it to the full. I actually like the New American Standard Version a little bit better. I've come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. So you gotta understand, salvation, the Christian experience, isn't just about going to heaven when we die. Salvation is the potential for us to live an abundant life now, here, in this life. You say, Mike, I don't understand how it works. Well, let me just say, there's a lot of things in life I don't understand, but that doesn't prevent me from taking advantage of them. As I said last week, I don't understand how a plane that weighs 1.2 million pounds flies, but that doesn't prevent me from flying. I don't understand the combustible engine, but that doesn't, that doesn't keep me from getting in my F-150 6.2 liter engine truck with the big pipes that wake up the whole neighborhood and enjoying it every day. I don't understand the internet. The other night I asked Laura a question. The only question I've ever asked Laura, she didn't know the answer to. So I quickly Googled it and in about a half second I had the answer. I said, that is amazing. I mean, think about it. I type in a question on my phone and a half second I have the answer. I said, I don't understand the internet. Where is all this information? Where is, I don't, I even, I even emailed Al Gore since he invented the internet. And I said, Al, help me understand the internet. He says, I don't understand it either. Right. But anyway, that doesn't keep me from using it. In the same way, in the same way, I'm telling you, this truth that we're going to talk about over the next few minutes is a truth You'll begin to grasp. You'll begin to understand as you grow in your Christian walk. But it's a truth that you can start taking advantage of right now. But I want to tell you something. It is just as true. It is just as real whether you understand it or not. But let me see if I can help you understand it. Let's assume that when you became a Christian, when you became a follower of Jesus Christ, 
you already, you already got it. You already had a sense of right and wrong. You already knew, nobody had to tell you, you knew it was wrong to kill people. You knew it was wrong to commit adultery. You knew it was probably wrong to drink so much that you pass out and you don't know what happened. You knew that. You already knew that you should take care of the environment. You already knew that when you went to work, you were supposed to be a good employee. And when you got married, you were supposed to be a good spouse. And when you had children, you already knew you were supposed to be a good parent. In other words, even as an unbeliever, you knew. You knew you were supposed to do good, to be good. But then one day you realize, wow, no matter how good I am, I'm never going to be good enough to be restored into a relationship with God. But maybe at the same time, maybe a friend talking to you at the coffee shop, maybe, maybe somebody gave you a book to read, maybe you showed up in church and you discovered that even though you aren't good enough to ever be restored back in a relationship with God based on your efforts, because of Jesus Christ, because of his grace, he is willing to forgive you of all your sins, restore you back into a relationship with God so that you can be reconciled in that relationship. And on top of that, you get to go to heaven when you die. And when you heard that, you thought, man, that is a great deal. And so you, you accepted the deal. But see, here's the thing. You assume just because it just makes sense, right? You assume that this new relationship with God still is dependent on you being good. It's still somewhat dependent on you obeying all the rules and you don't really have a problem with that. In fact, you're actually kind of excited about that because you heard a preacher say that if you obey all these rules in the Bible, it'll change your marriage, it'll change your family, it'll change your finances. So you take off on your Christian journey at mock speed, assuming that everything hinges on how you perform. Everything is dependent on how you act. But what happens when we do that? Well, see, all we've done is taken this old system that somehow we can impress God. We've taken this old system, somehow I can earn his love, and we've just kind of dressed it up with religious stuff. In other words, we revert right back to this old system. You know what? It's my job to work really, really hard to be a good Christian. It's my job to obey all the rules if this relationship with God is going to work, if I'm gonna to get to go to heaven when I die. And it makes sense that we think that way in our relationship with God because see, that's the way it is in our relationship with one another. It's very, very conditional. And what's amazing is there is a small group of people out there who can actually pull it off. I mean, there are some Christians who are just naturally disciplined. They're just naturally structured. They're just naturally good rule keepers. In fact, you know what, if, you, if they were honest, they would tell you they were good rule keepers before they even became Christians. It's just the way they're wired. It's their personality. It's how God created them. So, you know, they're structured, they're disciplined. They become a Christian, no big deal to them. They just memorize the whole Bible, right? Never miss church, give, volunteer, serve, pray, share their faith. And we look, we just sit back and watch that person. We're like, wow, wow. <laughs> That is the greatest Christian I have ever seen in my life. And we, you know, they just kind of blow us away. But this is what's interesting. See, I've been doing this a long time. If you begin to peel back the layers, this is what you may discover. You may discover that this is an individual because of their structured, disciplined, rule-following life. This is the person who's decided, I am going to live the Christian life even if it kills me, right? They're gonna make it happen, right? And if you spend time with them, you know what? It will not be long before you begin to see through the facade. And don't get me wrong, they're sincere. Don't get me wrong. They're doing everything they, they think that they're supposed to be doing. But do you wanna know how you can spot a person like this? They will usually have a judgmental side to them. They won't call it judgmental, they'll say, oh, I have the gift of discernment. Trust me, it's judgmental, right? You don't wanna get too close to them. Because not only do they think they're perfect, you know what? They think you should be perfect. 
And they have no problem telling you what you need to do to make that happen. In fact, they will tell you how you can be just like them. And we all know Christians like that. Guess what? We do everything we can to avoid them, right? But see, my guess is more of you are like me. So you became a Christian and you decided, I'm gonna manhandle the Christian life. You bow up, get all jacked up, and it lasts about three weeks. And you blow it. And then you feel incredibly guilty. So you go through the whole rededication thing. God, I'm rededicating my life. I mean it this time. I didn't, I'm not sure I meant it last time. I mean it this time. This time, I'm serious about it. I'm sold out. This time, I'm all in, right? And so you get in a small group. You get an accountability partner. And you start reading the Bible. And everything's going great until you come across a verse like Ephesians 5.22. And it says, wives, submit to your husbands. You're like, whoa, never saw that before. God, are you serious? I mean, that seems a little, that seems a little outdated. Or you come across a verse that says, not only are you supposed to give your money away, you're supposed to do it cheerfully. And you're like, I ain't sure that's gonna, I'm just not sure that's gonna happen. Or you read the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus says, you gotta forgive your enemies. In fact, you've got to forgive, as one of my followers, you've got to forgive every person who offends you every time they offend you. And you're like, hmm, I'm not sure I can pull that off. Control my thought life. Never gossip, never lust, respect those who are in authority over me. Sex is only for marriage. And all of a sudden you're like, wow. God, I'll try, you know, don't get your hopes up, right? So, so we take off, we give it our best shot, we fail. And we respond, God, I'm sorry, but I'm going to try harder next time. I'll get some counseling. I don't know what the problem is, God. Probably got something to do with my childhood. God, you did know I didn't have a puppy. I don't know if that's got anything to do with it, but I'm gonna to get to the bottom of this. I'm gonna figure this thing out. Well, here's, the here's the truth. I'm gonna tell you something you're not gonna probably hear ever at any church in America, okay? But I'm gonna tell you this. You can't live the Christian life. Let me say it again. You can't live the Christian life. You were never expected to live the Christian life. And as long as your attitude is, God, thanks for the rules, thanks for the principles, thanks for the precepts, thank you for the guidelines, I've got it from here. I'm telling you, you will always fail because you cannot live the Christian life. In fact, do you know what the Christian life is? The Christian life is Christ's life. It's his life. And I'm telling you, you cannot imitate Jesus. Try all you want. You cannot imitate Jesus. Heck, we can't imitate LeBron James. You can't imitate Katy Perry, you know? A few years ago, we had a big, a big talent show and the staff had to put on a talent show for everybody that serves at all of our campuses at Hope Community Church. And somebody came up with the bright idea that I was gonna be Cher and I was gonna sing a Cher song. This is what I look like as Cher. Let me ask you a question. How did I do? You know who I look like? Ozzy Osbourne's evil twin sister. That's what I look like right there. I mean, think about it, people. If we can't imitate people on this earth, how in the world are we going to imitate Jesus? The Christian life is the life of Jesus. That's why it's called the Christian life. It's not the disciplined life. It's not the holy life. It's not the righteous life. It's called the Christian life. It is his life. And I'm telling you, the only person who's ever been successful at living the Christian life was Christ. 
And the reason you keep failing, the reason you keep lusting, the reason you keep gossiping and lying and losing your temper and refusing to forgive and hanging on to all that anger is because God didn't leave you here in this system to conquer those things. See, that's why Jesus came. He came and conquered those things so that we might have life. Guess whose life? His life. Let me tell you something. The Christian life is not a self-improvement program. The Christian life is the life of Jesus. And the goal isn't simply to make ourselves better so that maybe up in heaven, God's putting gold stars by our names. The goal is very simple. It's allow, to allow Jesus Christ to live his life through us. Now, this old approach to living the Christian life, God, I'm just going to pull it off. I'm just going to work hard. God, I'm just going to give it my best. The Bible has a term for that, and it's called this phrase, living according to the flesh. That just simply means that you and me taking our best shot in our own power, in our own strength, to try to be in this relationship with God, to try to be perfect, to try to be righteous. But let's go back to Romans 3, verse, uh, 8, 3, and 4 again. He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met and in us. Now, here's the phrase. Who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. So Paul writes this, and he says, those of us who are Christians, we don't live our lives according to the flesh. We don't live our lives in our own strength, and our own power. Why not? Well, since we have the Spirit of Christ, according to verse 4, look what it says. We live according to the Spirit. In other words, because we have the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, right? Our lives are prompted by the Spirit of Christ. Our lives are prompted by the Holy Spirit. Hey, newsflash, the Holy Spirit does not take up residence and live in our lives because it's cozy. He lives in our lives to direct our lives. Now, let's just compare that to the way I was raised. Very legalistic, all about the rules, the do's, the don'ts. I never went to a movie in my life until after I got married. I had to take a, a note to P.E. in the second grade saying, I'm a Baptist, we don't dance. And it was square dancing. That's my life. That's how I grew up. Those are the rules we had. Be, and, and because if you wanted to be in a good standing with God, you followed the rules. Do you know what that system does? It just makes you constantly focus on sin. You're like, what am I missing? You know. And so you sin, you feel guilty. And what do you do? You confess your sin. Maybe it takes to the 39th, 40th stanza of just as I am without one plea. But eventually, you know, you sin, you feel guilty, you go down, you confess your sin. The next week you sin, you feel guilty, you confess your sin. The problem with that system is you're always conscious of your sin. You're always conscious of what you're not supposed to be doing. That's the system I grew up in. So you know what I ended up growing up like? I grew up, I focused on sin. I made plans for sins. I was always prepared so that when I sinned, I was ready to confess it and deal with it. Sometimes I confessed it while I was doing it. Sometimes I even made plans to confess it before I did it. And don't look at me like that. Don't act like you've never done that, right? But see, that's living in the flesh. That's living in my own strength. See, that is not what God intended the Christian life to be. Let me give you a definition for living in the flesh. It's trusting in my strength and determination to bring about whatever changes I feel need to take place in my life. In other words, God, now that I'm a Christian, I'm going to be a better spouse. I'm going to be a better boss, better employee, better parent, better child, better student. I'm going to be better, 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 better. And you mean it. And deep down inside, you really feel it. You just can't do it. But don't feel bad. Don't feel bad. Neither can I. 
In fact, no one can do it because in ourselves, we don't have the strength. In ourselves, we don't have the power. In ourselves, we don't have what it takes to live the Christian life. Let me give you the rest of the, the definition. It's retaining control of my life, giving primary consideration to my needs and desires and fears when making decisions. In other words, we negotiate with God. We set the ground rules. God, this is what I'm willing to do. God, this is what I'm not willing to do. In other words, you're more than willing to follow Jesus, but you're gonna follow Jesus on your own terms. God, this is where I'll go. This is where I will not go. This is what I'll do. This is what I will not do. This is what I'm willing to give up. God, this is what I'm not willing to give up. Understand the Bible says that approach to life, whether you're a Christian or not, it leads to the same place. Look at, look at verse six, Romans chapter eight. The mind governed by the flesh, your own strength and energy is death. Why? That's the old system. Again, cause and effect. You sin, you die. Wherever there's sin, there is death. That's why later on, Romans chapter six, verse 23, you know what it says? The most misquoted verse in all the Bible, the wages of sin is death. Because most of us use that as a salvation verse. Hey, the wages of sin is death. Hey, this written to Christians. It's written to people who are already Christians. So what does that mean? This is literally what it says. The wages of sin for a Christian is a death-like existence. You may be a believer, but if you continue to sin, you're gonna experience a death-like existence. For example, if you sin sexually, there will be death in a relationship. If you sin ethically, it could be the death of your career. If you sin financially, it'll be the death of your finances. There are some ways that you can sin, even result in physical death. I'm telling you, sin and death are always attached. They always go together. They're like Siamese twins. And whatever sin touches, it dies. That is living according to the flesh. And it always leads to death. You know why? Because you just can't, I mean, you can't just not sin. You're not that good. You're not that strong. There's no way you can just not sin. Say, you know what? You're not Jesus. But see, I'm gonna be honest with you. I lived that way forever. And I'll never forget where I was when I came to the conclusion. I can't do this. I am just not that good. Now, I accepted Christ when I was five. My mom led me to Christ when I was five. I was baptized when I was six. I went to a Christian university. I was in seminary, pastoring a church. When I came to the conclusion, I can't do this. And I'll never forget, it was like God said to me, finally, what do you think I've been trying to tell you all these years? And even though I spent all of my life feeling like a failure because I couldn't live the Christian life. You know what? I wasn't a failure. I was just normal. In fact, I was just human because the only person who can live the Christian life is Jesus. And that's why God had to develop this new system because in the new system, so you get to experience the life of Jesus through you, through you. I mean, when you get right down to it, you know what it is? It's finishing the race the way you started the race. It's not, hey, God, thank you for saving me. I got it from here. This is what it is. It's God, just as helpless as I was when I faced life and eternity without you, without hope, God, I am still that helpless when it comes to being the person that I ought to be. I'm just as helpless when it comes to being the person you want me to be. I'm just as helpless when it comes to my thought life. I'm just as helpless when it comes to dealing with lust. 
I'm just as helpless when it comes to dealing with lying and gossip. I'm weak. I need a savior. I'm gonna tell you something. That is the first step to experiencing the Christian life is finishing the way we started. Think about it. We needed the righteousness of Christ to assure us life in heaven. We every day need the righteousness of Christ to assure us victory over sin. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It is not about your strength. It is not about your dedication. It is not about your discipline. It has nothing to do with it. You know what it is? God, I can't. I can't, but you can. God, I can't be the spouse you want me to be today, but you can. God, I, I, I can't overcome this temptation in my life, but you can. God, I cannot forgive the person that hurt me, but you can. Years ago when I was in California, I met a, uh, a family. And uh, when I was pastoring up in the San Francisco area, they later moved here to help me start the church. And they had a plan. They said, we're gonna stay in, in North Carolina for a couple of years and then they were gonna relocate to Florida where they were from originally. So they moved here with us and great family, four teenagers, three girls and a boy. And they actually worked with our student ministries the first couple of years that they were here as volunteers. And then one day, Donna, the wife, her life blew up when she discovered that her husband, who she thought was an incredible godly man, was incredibly addicted to pornography. And this is back in the day where you couldn't just secretly look on the internet. You had to go to an adult bookstore. You had to go rent a video and bring it home. And she discovered a paper trail, a money trail, just thousands of dollars that he had spent on pornography. It was just entrenched in pornography. And I, I thought, to be honest with you, I thought it would be the end of the relationship. But he got some help. He went through a program. She stayed with him. They never separated for a day. And one day, I, after it seemed that they had weathered the storm, I said, all right, I got to ask you, how did you do it? How did you do it? And she said, Mike, it was impossible for me at those days to love him but God loved him through me. God just loved him through me. And I was communicating with, uh, with her this week, texting. They, they, they've since moved back to Florida. Still together. Life's incredible. God's been great. But that's what I'm talking about. She said, I couldn't do it. But God can. And she said, it's interesting. Now looking back, and she texted me this last night. She says, God allowed me to love him completely. At the same time, God was still loving him completely. God, I can't, but you can. But I gotta tell you, for that to happen, you have to give up the fight. You have to come to the place where you're willing to say, God, I, I give up, I just can't do it. And you know what God's response will be? Great, great. Now we're getting somewhere. And I'm telling you, it will change your experience as a Christian as Christ lives through you, because I'm telling you, only Jesus can live the life of Christ. Now, 
as we're going to see as we move forward and as we begin to talk about how God changes our lives through the renewing of our mind. See, as we renew our mind, we begin to see as God sees. We begin to think as God thinks. And that means we begin to live as God wants us to live. And you're going to see in this process, yeah, there's a lot of principles. Yes, there's a lot of rules. Yes, there's a lot of precepts that we have to learn. We have to obey. That's our part of the process that God is going to use, that God is going to empower. But I'm telling you, it's all in the context, not that it makes me more lovable to God. It's all in the context God, I can't, but you can. Now, next week, I'm going to give you the secret. I'm going to begin to unpack the secret of living this way. And I can tell you, if you'll stick with it, God's going to do something in your life. And it's going to begin, as we're going to see next week, as he begins to renew your mind. Let's pray. Maybe you're here this weekend and you're still not connected to God. You still don't have that relationship with God. And maybe it's because you've spent a lot of your life watching your Christian friends trying to live the Christian life and you've seen the frustration, you've seen the failure, and you're thinking, ain't no way, ain't no way. And as a result, you're sitting at one of our campuses this weekend and you're still dragging around all your baggage and you're still in bondage to the past and you're still carrying around the guilt and the shame and the anger and the disappointment. I just want you to know you need a savior. You need a savior. You need saving. As I've said before, we can't even save ourselves from the day-to-day mundane issues of life. What makes us think that we can save ourselves for all eternity? You need a savior. And when you're ready, when you're ready, when you realize that, you have one. He's Jesus Christ the Lord. And he will rock your world. And he will change your life. He will change your life. Maybe you're here and you're a Christian. You know you're a Christian, but man, it's just been a frustrating journey. One day you feel good. The next day you feel guilty. And in fact, maybe you've been away from church and you've just come back because you've thought, I just can't do it. Maybe other people can do it. I just can't do it. And you think that you're unique. You're, you're the only one who struggles this way. Let me tell you, you're not unique. You're not alone. I'm going to share some things very personal in this series. You're going to see we're not that different. But I'm telling you, just as you needed a Savior for eternity, you need a Savior every day of your life to be the person that Christ has called you to be. We're going to get through this together. Father, you're awesome. Your unconditional love blows our minds. We can't even comprehend that. We're used to relationships where if we screw up and mess up, we're out. We're, we're, we're kicked to the curb. If we don't meet expectations, we're done. But Father, we, it's hard for us to change our thinking to realize you love us regardless of who we are, regardless of what you've done. If we are in Christ Jesus, we're uncondemnable. We thank you for that. And may that be the position that we begin to see ourselves as our minds are renewed And as we begin to see as you see and think as you think so that we can begin to live our lives and become the person that you created us to be. I'm excited to see what you're gonna do in us, our church, our community, and the world. In your name we pray, amen.